Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Maybe seated. How do you expect a king to come? And why do we have this reading from Matthew with the details of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the first Sunday in Advent leading up to Christmas? For a long time, I always viewed the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as just that. Jesus comes, the crowds cheer, they throw down their cloaks and palm branches, and they greet their king, as they should have, as I hope and imagine I would greet him. We also read the account of his arrival in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It is a very fleeting and joyful break from the season of Lent before we follow his steps through Holy Week and to the cross. Or is it? What kind of king is it that comes on a donkey? Kings would come in splendor with an entourage. And do you know what an advanced team is? The Secret Service has them. They go ahead, sometimes months ahead of any presidential visit, and check out the venues, the landing locations, support facilities for aircraft, hospitals, hotels, restaurants, and motorcade routes. And in any and everything is vetted to ensure a successful and safe visit in which the high-level dignitary, president, or even king can safely accomplish his or her mission. Nothing is left to chance, the plans are rigorous, and surprises are not welcome. There is not much of an account of an advanced team in the gospel concerning Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. No account of chariots and archers or even crowd control. No top-level accommodations arranged through maybe Airbnb. No black car and driver. Not even an Uber XL. Jesus simply says to two of his disciples, you will find a donkey tied to a colt. Untie them and bring them to me. It would be like our president telling the advance team, when we get there, you will find a new Yugo in a driveway at the corner of Spring and Main Streets. Never been driven. Bring it to me and I will ride it in. Forget the beast. The beast is the presidential limousine. It's called that due to its weight, armor, secret gadgets, and general presence. No, just bring me the Yugo. What kind of president or king comes in a Yugo or on a donkey? One that is humble. The triumphal entry is a humble entry of God into Jerusalem to suffer, die, and save his creation, specifically you and me, sinners. And not only us here and now, but all sinners throughout all time. Jesus set aside his glory to humbly come. He enters Jerusalem lowly and riding a beast of burden to the cheers of the crowd, a king on an animal never having been ridden by another. No one else ever rides a king's mount. They are right in their joy, but it is misplaced. It is not a kingdom of earthly glory Jesus enters into Jerusalem to bring. He brings a kingdom of heavenly glory and servanthood. He came as a humble servant, a lamb without blemish that would be led to slaughter and sacrifice. Can you imagine the triumphal entry of an earthly king where he knew he was going to his death, and even a horrible death on a cross? It will never happen. 
Our sinful nature cannot set aside its pride. It's navel-gazing, if you will. We see ourselves as important. Even as we do the mundane things of life as waiting for lunch at McDonald's, we expect a level of respect and honor from those attending to us. The worst examples of, uh, are of those who have even demanded it and become violent when their order is messed up. Did you read about the woman driving a Mercedes in Kentucky who shot through the drive through window of a KFC because she didn't get her spork and napkins? She was arrested in Georgia. You're safe. We have all done it to a similar level. At some point, we became mad or enraged over some innocent mistake of another. We think too highly of ourselves. This was a case with those in Jesus' time, too. Consider the questions he has asked in the previous chapters in Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 18, the disciples asked Jesus, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The implied question is, is it us? And Peter asks, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? What are the rules? What and how much must I do? Chapter 19, and the rich young man, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Chapter 20, Jesus asked the mother of the sons of Zebedee, what do you want? And she asked, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right in your kingdom and one on your left. And what about chapter 20, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard? You remember, they were called to work, some early in the day, some at the end of the day, and all received the same wage. Those who labored longer grumbled because surely they were worth more than the latecomers. Is one worth more to God because they were baptized as an infant and firmly in the faith all their life than one who cried, Christ have mercy on me, a sinner, at the hour of their death? The answer is, of course, no. But it is backward to our human nature. We want greatness in ourselves and in our leaders. We are told Jesus wept over Jerusalem as he approached her. She would not accept him as a humble servant who wants to be a servant to a servant. Yet that was how he came. He had to. Nothing was left to chance. All the plans had been made by the advance team. If, it, if he had appeared in all his glory, they would have all perished at the site. So the advance team, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, had a plan. He concealed his glory, his majesty and power. He set it aside, first being born a humble child, the most needy and helpless of all God's creatures. No glory in that, but angels sang his praises at his birth, not in the courts of kings, but to shepherds. His entering Jerusalem his entourage was a list of misfit sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, blind made to see, lame made to walk, sick made well, and dead given life, none of whom were deserving of what they received from Jesus. Notice, too, that Jesus came to them in the surrounding territories, but finally in Jerusalem. He went to where he, God Almighty, was to be found in the temple. Even as a child, he told Mary and Joseph when they had lost him on their way home from celebrating the Passover, only to find him in the temple, 
Did you not know I would, not, I would be in my Father's house? Now he comes to us, lowly in word and sacrament. We do not call him to us by some ecstatic display of faith and adoration or by, the, or by the right number of good deeds and right living. It only takes two or three to be gathered together in his name, and he is there with them. It only takes water and his word for him to be in each of us in our baptisms with the Holy Spirit. And he is, as he promised, with us at the altar in the bread and wine with his body and blood. Why humbly? We already said if he came in glory, we as sinners would be dead at the sight. So he comes in a way that is not threatening and dwells with us. He approaches us first in the gospel, because without faith in him, we are dead in our sins, blind to God's grace and at war with him. His coming is so non-threatening that for many, his coming is to the point of being unbelievable. But through the Holy Spirit, at the hearing of God's word, God creates faith in us, faith that trusts in him. I call it spiritual CPR. That's because dead people don't revive themselves. It is not possible. And sinners are dead apart from the hearing of God's word that gives them life and faith in Christ. Our sinful nature wants to believe in some visible, supernatural, special manifestation of the Holy Spirit, some enthusiastic experience that we have some investment in a feeling, an experience, a doing on our part that we might be worthy before a great king. But behold, your king comes to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, to take all your sins away and to die for you. Rejoice, for we have a king who came to serve and to rescue us from sin, death, and the power of the devil. He has come as a lowly infant child, and he has borne our griefs, shared and knows all of our sufferings and temptations, and lives a sinless life and died a sinless death. All of our pridefulness, our desire to justify ourselves before God, our sin was laid on him and taken away with his blood on the cross. No earthly king could ever do this, only God himself. What a blessing to be part of his entourage one of the misfits now made whole by his blood, blind now seeing, lame now walking, and dead now living eternally. Jesus' humble entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey is the most glorious and lowly thing for sinners. Welcome him this Advent season as he comes lowly, a child, our God incarnate has come for you to give you life in him. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may this peace, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.